0: wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome, 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 friend. I'm TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to... For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. We're almost done with season four, and I'm very sad because I will miss you, but I'm excited at the same time because I'm ready to research some new topics. But before we get ahead of ourselves, like I so often love to do, let's get into this episode. Today, we are heading to our favorite topics, women's history And world history combined, it's a double whammy favorite topic because today we are going to Egypt and we're talking about a woman pharaoh who presented as a man who was almost lost to history, but like, it was okay because she wasn't lost all the way. It's just so much excitement all in one. And you know what I'm realizing right now? This is an Empress Batty episode. Oh, my Lanta friend, we haven't done an Empress Batty episode in a hot Minute. It has been so long and I'm excited. I can't believe it took me until right now, right this very moment, to realize it was an Empress Batty episode. Today we are talking about the Pharaoh Hatshepsut. And she's not an Empress, but she's an equivalent status and she's a super baddie. So Without further ado, because I'm so excited, let's get into the episode. Grab yourself a little snacky snack, maybe a little drinky drink, settle into your morning commute, or into whatever it is that you're doing, and let's get to it. Alrighty, my friend, today is Egyptian History Day, and this might be only our second ever Egyptian History episode. What? That's crazy. We need to remedy that in season five because Egyptian history is the bee's knees. I would love to do an episode on like Egyptian makeup history or tattoo history. We'll have a poll, it'll be on Instagram. Oh, I have so many ideas. Anyways, Egyptian history is long, like, really. Super duper stinking long, which is the technical term (laughs) for the length that the Egyptian uh, history goes. It's like 3,000 years long. So when we talk about ancient Egypt, we got to be a little more specific. So let us start by getting dropped into history, get a little acclimated, get our bearings, if you will, my time traveling companion. This very long history is conveniently broke into sections. There are the pre-dynastic and regular dynastic periods, which are super uber a long time ago, like between 5000 BC to 2685 BC. Then we have the most famous eras, the Old Kingdom, the Middle Kingdom, and the New Kingdom. You got your pyramids in the Old Kingdom. And you got your Cleopatra, your Nefertiti, and your King Tut in the New Kingdom, and like in the Middle Kingdom was a time of expansion and stuff like that. You know, it was like it was like a thousand years long, so I'm sure they did something exciting <laughs> during that time. I just don't know about it. And then in between each of those kingdoms, uh, each of those eras was like a time of war because you know that happens in general when you have a three thousand year long history. War happens. Egyptian history is so long, in fact, that I always see this meme floating around in the history fan interwebs that says Cleopatra is closer than, uh, closer to the iPhone than she was to the building of the Great Pyramid of Giza. And that's totally 100% true, which is really weird to think about and sends me into cold sweats because it makes me think about what is time? How is that possible? I don't like it, but today we're not talking about Cleopatra, nor are we talking about King Tut or Nefertiti. No, dear one. Today, we are, in fact, talking about the woman pharaoh who was almost erased from history, pharaoh Hatshepsut. I have many strong feelings for Hatshepsut that I will go into more detail later on in this episode, but I, I feel for her something fierce because history and people's biases are super duper mega unfair a lot of the time, but we'll talk about that later. Her life started out, I assume, great because she was born into a royal family as the daughter of Pharaoh Thutmose I and his first great wife, Amos. She was a girl, so that meant Thutmose I needed to train her up so she could be a valuable asset to the royal family because she couldn't be an heir to the throne. So when she was in training, she did all sorts of religious and spiritual education things and got really good royal Egyptian education. And all of that education and training was for one purpose. So Hatshepsut could take over the position of God's wife of Amun, which is the second highest position for a woman in Egypt during this time. So at the age of about 10 years old, she became one of the most powerful women in Egypt. Second only to the queen herself. And I hear you right now, my delicious little donut, saying, TK, who is the this Amoon character and why why is being his wife such a big deal? Beautiful question, friend. Curious as always, which is why I love you. Amun was the god of air and was one of the eight primordial Egyptian deities. Which basically meant he was super duper old and mega uber important. And at one point, he was like the king of all the other deities during the New Kingdom era. So as his spiritual wife, he had a lot of power. And it basically made Hatshepsut like a living goddess. And just let me really solidify the gravity of her position because you know kind of sounds like mm, okay she's this this god's wife but what's the big deal it's a very big deal as the god of amun's wife or the <laughs> the god's wife amun she was responsible for conducting certain rituals that literally ensured the existence of the universe That's what the Egyptians believed at this time. If she didn't do something correctly or in a way that the god Amun didn't like, the universe would have ceased to exist, according to them. No universe. Bye-bye. You upset Amun. And let me tell you, as a fourth grade teacher with a class full of 10-year-olds, it is a wonder that the universe still exists today. Well, maybe fourth graders were uh, built differently back then. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, do, I love my students. They're the joy of my life and also from time to time the bane of my existence, but I wouldn't trade them for anything. I digress, however. In addition to all of this power that she held because of her position, she was able to be next to her father and get first-hand education on how to do pharaoh-like things, which, foreshadowing slash spoiler alert, this would come in really handy later on in her life. She watched him do diplomacy stuff and military things and basically rebuild the country because previously there had been a bunch of wars and stuff. You remember that like I- intermediate war era that we were talking about earlier? Well, her daddy, the I, was trying to fix all that and rebuild Egypt and he totally did. And Hatshepsut got to witness all of it. So for about four years, she was in this high position right next to her father, studying and learning but it was not all rainbows and sunshine for Hatshepsut. Her two brothers, who were the heir and the spare for her father, the I, tragically died, leaving Hatshepsut the only pure-blood royal child. Her father realized that his time was running out and he needed to solidify who the next heir would be. Since women couldn't be heirs to the throne, King Tutmosis I chose another one of his children from his second wife. But this child was really weak and sick all of the time because he had an enlarged heart. And I don't have to tell you, friend, but having any medical issues at all, especially with your heart, is super bad when you don't have modern medicine. But... Everybody depended on this barely teenage boy to keep the Tutmos lineage going. So what was Tutmos the I to do? He really had no choice. There was only one option, to marry his daughter, Hatshepsut, to her half-brother, Tutmosis II. Because the Egyptians were really into keeping the bloodline clean, which I'm not here to judge, but also I'm totally judging a little bit because there's a lot of incest up in that family tree in Egypt. <laughs> Ugh, gross! And I know we shouldn't put our modern morals on to people of the past, but I cannot help myself. It's gross. So Hatshepsut and Tutmosis II, half-siblings, got married and tried to have an heir themselves. But the heir ended up being a little girl named Neferu Ra, which continued the cycle of no male heirs. And this was a problem, because not long after Hatshepsut and Thutmose II were married and had their child, Thutmose II died, leaving no heir and only Hatshepsut to pick up the pieces. Part of the Area of Media Network, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, de zen, my friends. Bye bye. I'll be seeing you. Was the Sphinx ten thousand years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show. Historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca Lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It is no exaggeration when I say that Hatshepsut would eventually become one of the most, if not the most, powerful rulers in the entire Bronze Age. Friend, I am filled with so much feminist excitement right now, I cannot even contain it. I'm also upset that I only learned about Hatshepsut in the last year because she's so friggin' cool. So let me tell you how cool she is, and let's get started off with this checklist of badassery. After Tutmos II died, Hatshepsut realized real quick that she needed to do something, because all of Tutmos II's male babies were just that, literal, like babies, like one to two years old, even though Hatshepsut and Tutmos didn't have male heirs themselves, he did have a few male babies with his other wives. Rumors at the palace were flying. People were saying, who's going to be the new pharaoh? Is the topmost line dead? What's going to happen to everybody? Just haters all over the place. And Hatshepsut had to act quickly. And in a stroke of pure genius, she was like, all right, I am still the god's wife of Amun. And Amun is like the it god right now. So why doesn't he choose the next pharaoh? Genius. And I don't know how she did it. But she set up a huge public event so everybody could see that the god Amun chose the next pharaoh. She put a statue of Amun on a wheeled cart and lined up all the little babies and the statue somehow chose the next pharaoh, who they named, you guessed it, Tutmos the Third. Mmm, original. And this weird selection process totally chilled everybody out. They were like, all right, Amun has chosen him. He must be legit. So now the air was secure, kind of. And had Chepsuit got to work. Instead of Thutmose III's mother stepping in as regent, which was the norm, Hatshepsut became the regent and began her slow but powerful gathering of power. (laughs) Slow but powerful gathering of power. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. She had no plans of assassinating the young pharaoh. No, no. Nay, nay. She was a calculating woman and sought only to strengthen the kingdom as a whole and do her job to the best of her ability and just just as a side note she was 16 when she does this bananas so what does this teen regent do she starts making connections with all of the granaries the temples the military people, the trade people. She gets in good with all these folks and puts them in even higher positions of power. She gets things run in ship shape, not with violence, but with relationship building, bribery, and carefully calculated promotions. She made everything run more smoothly. Taxes were collected in a more timely and efficient manner. Trade routes with other places were strengthened and others reestablished after a really, really super long time. She sent emissaries all across the kingdom of Egypt and abroad to gather support for her and reward those who made the very smart choice to work with her or for her. She gathered loyal supporters from every part of Egyptian life. She staffed full-time priests in temples all over Egypt. She became a busybody with military folks and was real buddy-buddy with other people in the government. Crops were growing. Money was flowing temples and other building projects were popping up all over the place she grew her following not through violence or through getting in with a strong male ally nor did she stage a coup she did this on her own merit and ability and no help from anybody other than the people that followed her Which is super duper cool, but her genius did not stop there. She also wanted to solidify the position of the people in her family. Remember her daughter, Neferu Ra? Well... Hatshepsut began training her own daughter to take over the position of God's wife, so she and Neferu-Ra would be the two most powerful people in all of Egypt. Not, Not women, the two most powerful women. They would be the two most powerful people in general in all of Egypt. But Hatshepsut did not leave anything to chance. Even though she had a loyal following and established herself both in Egypt and abroad, she didn't stop strengthening the Tutmos claim to the throne. During the construction of all those temples and things she had being built, she had the builders and artists create images of her doing traditional pharaoh activities, like talking to the gods, making offerings, all of that kingly jazz. She also added another layer of I'm the boss and I want everyone to know it to these images. She began appearing wearing female clothes on the bottom and male pharaoh regalia on the top. And just as like a side note, I mean female clothes and male clothes in the context of this time period. There's no such thing as female and male clothes. Okay, anyways, wear whatever you want. But I digress. To put the cherry on top of this, she continually reminded the people of Egypt that she was appointed by the god Amun himself, that he had chosen her to rule. And she did all of this before she was even technically pharaoh. But she worked her ass off. And in about the seventh year of her reign as regent, when she was just 20 years old, she accomplished the impossible. Hepchipsut became pharaoh, like full-on pharaoh of Egypt, like not like a separate position as a woman pharaoh. No, Mm -mm. she was just regular pharaoh. By acting like the pharaoh, she became the pharaoh. And to celebrate, she had a bunch of stuff made, an absolute gaggle of obelisks, uh, I don't know if that's the word you use for a group of obelisks, like, like a like a murder of crows or like a flock of birds. <laughs> I don't know, but I like it. It's a it's a gosh darn gaggle of really cool obelisks, <laughs> many of which had shiny tops that would light up when the sun hit them just right. In the end, she erected more obelisks than any other pharaoh before her, and. In a final act of boss bitch badassery, Hatshepsut decided to go to the legendary kingdom of Pont. Pont was located in the southeast of Egypt, in what was probably located around Somalia or Djibouti. which I have to pause with the mention of Djibouti and tell you a story really quickly. When I was a seventh grade world history teacher, in my first year of teaching, we had a project-based learning unit on the various countries of Africa. And as I was going through the list of possible countries that the students could choose, Djibouti came up and my students lost their minds. They lost their ever loving minds because they're they're like 13, 14 years old, and Djibouti sounds like booty. They were giggling so much that I eventually decided to let them get it out of their systems, get all of their giggles out so that the novelty of saying the word Djibouti would be gone. I gave them exactly one minute to say Djibouti as many times and as loudly as they wanted to while laughing their heads off, and I thought, I thought that this would get all their giggles out so we could be serious and... And it actually worked. It totally freaking worked. And my seventh graders had the time of their lives. And they said Djibouti over and over again. And uh, we were able to get through the next few weeks without a single giggle at the name Djibouti. And the group that presented their project on Djibouti did an absolutely wonderful job. But I digress. Back to the kingdom of Pond. Only the greatest pharaohs of Egyptian history dared to even send an expedition to Pond. And of those few expeditions, even fewer came back successfully. But Hachipsu decided to go for it because she did have an actual god on her side, so how could anything go wrong? Uh, and nothing did go wrong, friend. Not a gosh-diggity-dang thing went wrong. After two long years of waiting for the expedition, they finally returned with a whole bunch of goodies like ebony and myrrh and all that fun Bronze Age stuff that you want in your life it was great it was a a total success She, she, she just couldn't be stopped she expanded Egypt's borders bolstered the economy built more temples and monuments and obelisks than almost anyone of her predecessors and she did it without shedding a single drop of blood via a coup or an assassination or anything else she just cruised right along being a badass taking names And kicking ass. But even with all her power, Hatshepsut could not stop the passage of time. She was able to outrank her stepson (laughs) slash nephew, gross, (laughs) while he was a boy, but not when he was a man. She had to do something drastic. In her 15th year as ruler, she decided to hold a said festival, which was meant to be a celebration for a pharaoh's 30th year as ruler, but Shipsu said ain't nobody got time for that and did it anyways. And from that moment forward, she was only depicted as a man, as a A full-blown pharaoh with not a trace of femininity, but she still used feminine pronouns in writing and stuff like that. But all of her depictions were of a man. During this celebration, she also officially solidified Thutmose III as the official co-ruler. Life was good. Egypt was at an all-time high for the first time in centuries. Money was flowing. Trade was popping. There was peace, and after 22 years of ruling one of the most powerful kingdoms in the Bronze Age, from 1479 to 1458 BC, Hatshepsut passed away after fighting tooth and nail to secure her kingdom and her family line. So TK, TK, what do we hear about her? What do we hear more about her? Well, friend, there is a reason for that. 25 years after her death and rise of Thutmose III, someone, maybe it was Thutmose III, but we're not really sure, tried to have her erased from history. Like all her images were smashed or cut or the carvings were taken out, her statues were defaced or destroyed, her obelisks were toppled. And we don't really know why. Why would someone do this? But it is speculated that Thutmose III did it not out of malice, but to protect the Thutmose line and not have any questions about the succession. However, this attempt to erase her backfired, and after her images were discovered, it made her all the more infamous and solidified her position as one of the most mysterious and greatest pharaohs of all history. Well, my friend, we have come to our final thought. And I want to talk to you about something that just grinds my gears. And previously I was talking about how much I feel for Hatshepsut. And the reason for this is because I feel like she represents so many women out there who have done something amazing. But because what they did was amazing and seemingly quote-unquote easy, their hard work was overlooked. It got pushed to the side and not appreciated. I was reading a National Geographic article about Hatshepsut, and they were interviewing Kara Cooney, the author of When Women Ruled the World, The Six Queens of Egypt, a really super good book, and I'll link it in the show notes below, But while I was reading this article, I came across one quote from her, and she says, The reason I'm so drawn to Hatshepsut is because she did everything so perfectly, which is something to be idealized. Success is very fungible. It's something that someone can claim and take credit for. Her name can be easily removed from a set of reliefs showing her buildings or obelisks or sending expeditions to the land of Punt. And another name can be put in her place. Failure, on the other hand, is not abstract. It involves suicide with asps or naval battles where everything goes horribly wrong. It's something that is very individualized. Thus, we remember Cleopatra. Shakespeare wrote a play about her, but chipsuit, we must resurrect from the ashes of history and investigate why female success is so easily ignored while female failure is so beautifully aggrandized. And after I read that quote, that part in the article, it really hit me that, yeah, so often accomplishments from women are just totally passed over. They're easily ignored, but whenever a woman makes a mistake, it becomes headline news. It's a huge issue. It's because of her gender that she made the mistake, and I hate that, but I totally agree with Kara that it's our job as historians and history lovers to help resurrect these stories of these women, these successful women who are so easily ignored. I think we can start by celebrating The success of our friends. Not just baby showers and weddings and things like that. All wonderful and should be celebrated for sure. But we should also celebrate successes like starting a business, getting a promotion, just making it through a week. Having those kinds of celebrations of success other than what is traditionally celebrated is one way that we can start uplifting these stories and changing the narrative a little bit. So that's my little soapbox and I hope you celebrate something that you did this week to help get this mission started. Well, dear one, that is all she wrote for today. Thank you so much for joining me. I had a great time. I hope you had a great time. It's always a good time when we have an Empress Batty episode. And it doesn't end in some tragic or sad way. And a, a win is a win. A win is a win if I do say so myself. And I do. And if you got something out of today's episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review on your favorite podcast platform and or, hopefully, Sending uh this episode or any other episode of For the Love of History podcast to your history best friend. I mean, other than me, I know I am the number one history BFF in your life, but you know your other history BFFs. Go, go, just go ahead and send it over. I'm sure they'll love it. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can join Patreon or get yourself some snazzy merch. I know uh, my season three logo sweater is my favorite. I wear it all the time. It's, oh, waffles agrees. It's so comfy and cozy and warm in these cold, cold winter months. But like always, please don't feel any pressure because your presence alone is support enough. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being you. Do something that makes you happy this week. Drink your water every day, you dehydrated marvel of a human being. And I will see you next week for our season finale. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? okay. (laughs) What's something you learned in history class that you feel like wasn't the whole truth? Better yet, what's something you didn't learn at all that was omitted completely? That's what I like to call redacted history. My name is Andre White, the host of the Redacted History Podcast, the place where history's forgotten events, heroes, and villains get their story told, one episode at a time. The Redacted History Podcast. Real history never dies. Stream the Redacted History Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts.